Well, good morning. Good morning. Open your Bible with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. Well, it is that time of the year again when one of my favorite characters is going to be back on TV or maybe DVD around the uh, holiday time of the year. I'm talking, of course, about Charlie Brown. Before I was a pastor, I was in the Navy, and uh, the Navy has a bit of a culture of uh, teasing each other, usually good-natured. My nickname on the submarine was Charlie Brown. It's an endearing name, right? Everybody loves Charlie Brown, right? Everybody, he's a friendly guy and might have been something to do with the amount of hair that I have. I don't know, but uh, it's endearing, but not necessarily a compliment because Charlie Brown is, well, he's gullible, isn't he? He's gullible. I find myself cheering for him every year as I watch the same movie. Now, I know that the same movie is going to turn out the same way every year, but I'm still kind of hoping that he won't fall for Lucy's trick. I'm still kind of hoping that, you know, he's going to think about kicking that football and he's going to stop and say, no, wait, I've seen this before. I'm not going through this again. But he's Charlie Brown. So he does it again and he runs and he kicks and he lands on his back once again. Because he's He's good at seeing certain things, but he just misses other stuff. Revelation 17 and 18 is written because the church can have a bit of a Charlie Brown syndrome. Christians can be a bit gullible. We can fail to see below the the surface. We can take things just for what we See, we, we don't identify the agenda behind temptations that we so frequently struggle with. This passage is here to teach us discernment, that we would grow in being less gullible and more discerning, that in our temptations, in our entertainment choices, in our economic choices, in the way that we spend our time, and our money, and our words, we would walk with discernment. If you're just joining us, we're in a series in the book of Revelation. And Revelation is, is written as a, a deeper explanation. It's the, it's the behind the scenes of this world. People tend to think of it as the end times, and it does address the end times, but it also addresses the now times. And this is a now times kind of passage. It's kind of both. We'll see. And it reveals something true about this world that maybe we would miss, but we need to see if we're going to be discerning. And, and the picture we're going to see is, is striking. Pictures part of this world as a prostitute out to allure us. So with that in mind, let's begin together in Revelation 17. I'm going to read the first six verses. You can follow along as we consider God's word together. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, 
I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints blood of the martyrs of Jesus. God's word. This is a vivid and a stunning picture. Picture of a great prostitute who is dressed for her business and plying her charms. Now this is an image. It's not a, it's not a photograph of, of something that we could photograph. We're not to expect that, you know, in the end times there'll be some worldwide prostitute. That's, that's not what this is talking about. This is, de, this is a spiritual description of a reality. And it's being told to us in vivid terms that we could understand this description of reality. But what is it describing? It's a description, okay, of what? Well, let's, let's give attention to some of the details and see if we can, if we can get there. Verse 1 says that this great prostitute is seated on many waters. And if you're like me, you know, you get into the book of Revelation, especially a first read, and you're like, okay, I was trying to get the first picture, and now there's a second picture, and I don't understand the second picture, and I'm feeling more lost the further we go. The good news is that, that this many waters is actually interpreted for us. So if you just look down to verse 15, it tells us exactly what those many waters are. What do they represent? Verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, and nations, and languages. So here is this prostitute seated upon peoples, nations, languages, multitudes, in other words, she has a worldwide influence. No place is exempt from her influence. No culture is immune from her temptation. No people is safe. A tribe in the jungle that's never had any influence from the rest of the world is not safe from her influence. Modern cultures are sickened with her influence because it is over all the tribes of the earth. More details. Verse 2. This prostitute with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Here is a, another provocative picture. The wine of her sexual immorality. She makes drunk. She intoxicates. 
She allures. Now, again, this isn't wine itself, nor, I would argue, is it even sexual immorality itself, as we think of it. This is a picture of spiritual adultery. This is her drawing people away from the one they should love. What is the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. And so what is she about? Tempting you away. Tempting me away. Tempting us away. Tempting cultures away. And she does this everywhere. She is about this across the face of the earth. Pulling people away from fidelity towards God and towards anything else. Any idol will do. As long as it's not the Lord God. And she comes in verse 3 again, especially if you're just joining us this morning, that it can be confusing. She's riding a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names. It has seven heads and ten horns. I'll tell you, we've seen this beast before. We saw this beast back in chapter 13. And as we unpacked that one, this is that corrupted human power. Right? This is the, the corruption of human government that is then used. What, what is human government for? It's for good. But how can it get corrupted? It can be corrupted to pushing people away from God. Enforcing a kind of uh, stoppage on Christianity, as is true all over the world right now. Maybe holding up false religion by the power of the state and putting down uh, Christianity by the power of the state. She rides on this. She is upheld by the power of the state. So we can begin to orbit perhaps around her identity. She's a seducer. She charms and tempts people away from God. So if you've been following with us in the book of Revelation, and let me, let me uh, give you the, the brief summary of kind of where we are if you haven't. Um, we've been introduced to one enemy after another after another of the church. The first is the great dragon, Satan himself. Right? So Satan is the great enemy of the church. But then he enlists up to now two and today a third, three helpers in his Hunt and pursuit of the church. I mentioned one of them, the great beast. Corrupt human power that Satan will use to stop people from worshiping God. That was one. If you recall also, there was a second beast that was false religion. That would come lying and deceiving. And, and tricking people into worshiping that which is not God. False religion. This one is a little different isn't she? Those others had this picture of power. She of charm. She of temptation and alluring. This is the corruption of, of culture around us. This is, this is putting that, that pretty gloss on temptation and calling evil good, making it smell good and look good, taste good and seem good. This is, this is that demonic power behind the corruption of 
culture, and corruption flows through every culture. Now, that's not to say every culture is the same amount of corruptness. Some cultures have more grace in them than others. Glory to God. I think our culture has a lot of grace in it. But our culture's losing a lot of grace right now as well as it listens to this woman, to this worldwide prostitute. Her appearance in verse 4 is amazing. She is arrayed in purple and scarlet. These are the colors of royalty. She looks royal and important and powerful and secure. And then she's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Indications of great wealth. She's the image of beauty and dignity, riches and fame. She's clothed in luxury and economic vitality. There's money to be made in an alliance with her. She's where the party is. Everything about her is clean and beautiful and attractive. She holds in her hand this gorgeous golden goblet. And we think, oh man, you know, maybe some, yeah, you know, French wine or something in this golden goblet that she holds. But no, no. The cup is full of abominations, verse 4, and the impurities of her sexual immorality. She drinks evil. She fills herself with wickedness. Verse 5 says she is the mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. She's the mother of such things because such things come from her. Wherever you find such things upon the earth, you can trace them back to her. Have you thought about this, friend? You've, thought, have you, you've seen it. You've seen culture slouching away from God. What is it that's doing this? She's doing this. This great demonic force that allures people away from God and tempts them to worship that which is not God. Wherever there is idolatry in a people group, wherever is wickedness is celebrated in a culture, wherever values decay and immorality thrives, she is behind these things in every culture, in every land, at every time. She is the defiler of culture. And she will convince some to worship at the idols of sexual immorality, pornography, sexual deviancy, more, more modern to, to worship at the idol of their gender identity. But we're not here to point fingers outside because there are pet idols that Christians struggle with too. She convinces some to worship at the idol of money, others at the idol of reputation, other power, other comfort and ease, pleasure. She has as many temptations as humanity has desires. And she peddles them 
over and over because she is the mother of them all. Now, verse 5 also shows her with this name on her forehead, and it begins to shift the image a little bit. So we began with this worldwide prostitute, but then we see this name on her, Babylon the Great. And so now she is this woman city. Now, if you're familiar with the city of Babylon, right, this was sort of a quintessentially evil city in the Old Testament that persecuted the people of God. And here she is, a a city personified. Babylon rebuilt. Think of it like this. It's not that Babylon is rebuilt in the Middle East. It's that Babylon is being rebuilt within every city in the world. The cities of man infected by the city of Babylon. Every culture Smelling like her perfume. No culture is immune. And friend, no human is immune. She has a temptation well fit for you. She has a a temptation well matched for your weakness. And she will offer it to you in many ways. At many times, in many places. And I'll warn you, she looks good. She looks good. She's all dressed up. And she's promising just what you want to hear. Be discerning, church. Be discerning. Little temptations are no little thing. Be discerning. Behind that little thing, is the same one who's behind the fall of Western culture, is the same one who's tempting those all over the world to turn away from God. Don't pull a Charlie Brown. Be discerning as to what's really going on. Now, this passage is Not the first time she's mentioned in the book of Revelation, but this is where we really get the description of this fourth and final enemy of the church. And what's exciting about this passage is not only do we get the description of this fourth and final enemy, we get the description of her judgment as well. So here we are, the fourth enemy enters the stage, and this is the low point of the book. It's the low point. For now, all the enemies of the church of God, of the people of God, are revealed in their ferocious character. These beasts that are out to devour God's people. And now, as though that weren't enough, with all the power of the world against the church, now this seductive adulteress after God's people as well. And yet, glory to God, as she is introduced, verse 1 tells us, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. So we read of her and of her demise. We're going to try to cover quite a chunk of Scripture here this morning because the uh, chapter 17 and 18 and even into 19 a bit describe this. So switch down with me to chapter 18, verse 1. The rest of 17 describes her demise, but let's 
let's look at how 18 talks about it. The fall of Babylon. I'm going to read a few verses here at the beginning of chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth, earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine, the passion of her sexual immorality. Kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. Mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. The future of Babylon is fixed. But to those in the world, it is most unexpected. It is unexpected. It is the tone of the entire chapter 18 is one of shock and amazement that such a thing has happened. It's unexpected by the kings of the earth. It's unexpected by the merchants who continue to grow rich off of her. The peoples and the tribes and the nations. It's unexpected by the adulteress herself who says, I sit as a queen, verse 7. I'm no widow. I'll never see mourning. She believes that what has been will always be. She's got the fun. She's got the money. She's got the entertainment. The party is with her, and the party's never going to stop. But the Lord brings an end. And this passage is given to those of us who live in her shadow who every time we try, to, we try to check the news on our phone and the smell of her perfume comes out, the advertisements that we have to look at. It's everywhere and around us. And we could feel like this is always how it's going to be. And this is given to us so we would know this is not how it will always Verse 2, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. It's happened and the party's over. Her party is done. She was such a bustling city, a busy metropolis, the dwelling place of vendors and merchants, businessmen, entertainers, politicians, teachers, now birds and demons and beasts. And where the party once raged, now all you hear is the wind 
blowing through the abandoned city of Babylon. Her ending is unexpected, and it is final. It is final. There is no remedy. There is no return. There is no coming back for her. It is a fierce, fearful thing when God says he will remember her iniquities. And the end of verse 8, mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. The chapter actually ends by describing how final this is. It uses a picture of throwing a rock into the ocean, but, th- but, but that's insufficient. It's not just like some kid throwing a rock into the ocean. Picture out in the middle of the Pacific, some cargo ship, one of those massive ships, right? And it's like got these cranes where it can pick up those cargo containers, right? Picture it picking up one of those, and it's a rock, taking it over the side and just letting go. And the splash that that would make. And you'd see it make that splash. And then the waters would close over it. And who could ever get that back again? As it plunges down thousand after thousand after thousand feet into the Pacific. Who could ever find such a thing again? That, that is lost forever. That's the picture of how she will be torn down. And we read that at the end of the chapter beginning in verse 21. So chapter 18, verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will Babylon the great, the city, be thrown down with violence and she will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. All the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on the earth. In her is found the blood of the prophets and the saints. She's the mother of martyrdom. The blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. She is the murderer of the innocent. She seduces people into such acts in every culture at every time. So she seduces into martyring saints and into defending abortion laws and into offering children on pagan altars and into intoxicating kings into slaughtering all of their enemies, killing their political opponents wiping out enemy villages, ethnic cleansing, and terrorist attacks. She is behind all of this, and it is hateful and awful. And did you see the news this week? And by her sorceries, 
She deceived the nations into murdering because they could. All of it's found within her when God goes to judge her. And so God declares, no more. No more. She has brought to an end so many, so many. And the day will come when God himself brings her to an end. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great, never to rise again. Like that stone thrown overboard, and it makes it splash, and then the waters come up around it. And who is to ever find it? And Who could ever pull it back up? She will rise no more. She will be found no more. There will be parties no more. Crafting of any good, no more. The light of the lamp, no more. The sound of the bride and the bridegroom, no more. No more, no more. Fallen and never to rise again. Glory to God. Glory to God. This church is given for your discernment. For our discernment. Her days are numbered. Don't get in bed with her. Her days are numbered. Don't be discouraged. Though perhaps you are grieved. If you like, are like me, you are grieved. How could we not be grieved? To be surrounded by this demonic perfume that seduces people away from the living God to their own destruction. Watches the fall of culture around us. And perhaps the most grievous is to, to hear those temptations and to find a resonance within. It's grievous to live so near to Babylon. And so there's two, two things that this discernment should produce within us. Two things. The first, we're going to look back in chapter 18 still. Back to verse 4, where the Lord applies this very specifically. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out. Come out. Now, this is obviously not a call to stop living in the world. We must live in the world. But it is a call to live separate from the world and to stuff our ears to her siren song, to her tempting song. Do you remember your Old Testament when uh, God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah? He's about to send his judgment, which, by the way, that is a picture of the final judgment, right? It's a really good Oh yeah, these things are talking about the same thing, right? Right before that happened, God sent an angel to Lot and said, come out, come out. And Lot like, huh, he hesitated. Do you, do you remember this? I always think this guy's insane. Like there's an angel talking to you saying, we're about to burn the place down. You might want to leave. Like you hear the fire alarm? That's yep, yep. Get out of the house. Get out of the house. And despite frequent warnings, the angel has to like grab Lot and pull him out of the city before it's burned down. Friend, 
allow the Holy Spirit to pull you out of the city before it burns down. This is that same call where God mercifully comes to his people in the midst of Sodom or in the midst of Babylon and says, come out of her, come out of her. You have foolishly set up your tent in the wrong place. Get out, lest you take part in her sins. How easy is it for us to think that our sins are not a big deal? They're just little. Maybe we dabble in joy. Just a little of the pollution that's around us. The warning, come out lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plague. But this is why judgment is coming. The sins of Babylon are not small. God remembers them. Church, the the danger that you and I face in Spotsylvania County, 2023, this could change someday. We, We worry about it, I suppose. The danger that we face today is not persecution. We can pray for other Christians who do face that. And there may come a day when we face that. But right now, the danger we face is not persecution, it's prostitution. That's our danger. That we would take part in her sins. And so, the first application in terms of discernment is is be repenting. Be repenting. Where the Lord reveals a place where you dabble with Babylon. Repent. Come back to Christ. This is given as good news. Because with this, with this command, the Lord gives the ability. The Lord gives the forgiveness. We can turn to Christ, and Christ takes every sin. Glory to God. And these, these words of like remembering, God's going to remember her sins. God remembered ours on Christ. And now he separated them from us as far as the east is from the west. So take hope and take heart and repent and come out Babylon. Christ is enough. The last, I'm going to read just four more verses, the beginning of chapter 19. As we grow in discernment, there are two things. One is that we would repent, and the second is found here. So follow along, chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, the four living creatures, fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. <laughs> 
The second, friend, application here as we grow in discernment about this prostitute and the fact that she's going to end. Be repenting and be rejoicing. Be repenting, be rejoicing because it's not always going to be this way. One of, the, one of the verses that talks about Lot is it describes when he was living in Sodom and how his soul was tortured by the wickedness around him. He grieved. He grieved because of how it influenced him. He grieved for the effect he saw on his kids. He grieved for the fact that, that wickedness does not lead to human flourishing the people that were being chewed up in the machine of evil all around him. He grieved and he mourned. And if you've got eyes, you grieve and mourn at the evil that is around us as well. Friends, it's right to respond that way. And it's right to remember these promises. One day, this will end. One day, God will fully repay all that is owed to his enemies and fully restore all that was taken from his people. Fully repay. Fully restore. And I, I have a hard time even imagining what it will be like to sing this hallelujah. Hallelujah, it's over. Hallelujah, he made it right. Hallelujah, those who were stolen from, look at how they shine. Look at how he has restored them. And look at how the evil one is totally destroyed, never to return again. Rejoice. So friends, we're, we're called to be discerning in this world. To see not just the headlines, so easy. Here we are, election season, right? Left and right and culture war this and culture war that. That is all happening, but that's all here. And there's something below it. And that's what we're reading about today. There's something deeper. But I don't think this is to turn our eyes to culture. It should give us discernment about culture. Discernment on things like who our real enemy is. Because it's not here. It's not flesh and blood. It's not our enemy. We have an enemy. Should give us discernment. But, but also discernment, really, and as the Holy Spirit calls us, come out of her. Come out of her. Come out of her. So church, let us be a repenting, and rejoicing people. Jesus wins. Despite everything you're seeing in culture. Jesus wins. Despite if America were to fall. Jesus wins. Even when you struggle with sin. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Praise God. Jesus wins. That's a good way to end. Worship team, come on up. <laughs> Let's stand. Jesus, thank you. Whew. Thank you that you win. Thank you that you repay your enemies and you restore all that was lost and stolen and taken from your people. 
you are a good Savior. And we look forward to joining that heavenly congregation that cries out, hallelujah. And until then, Lord, we will worship you here and now. Because even now, you are worthy of all praise. In your name, amen. Let's worship together.
Prayer team, if you could come on up front. As we get ready to go, we always want to have an opportunity for folks to receive prayer. Uh, so we've got a couple different couples that will be up here uh, that, to, to pray for you. Um, if you need to repent, it's a good time to do that. Friend, I'm also aware that living in the shadow of Babylon is hard. It's great to hear his promises. Sometimes we need help to cling to them. But that's you. Encourage you to come up and receive prayer as well. I'm going to send us out with a benediction from Psalm 62, which is the background of the song we were just singing. It's hope in our God in these days. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Amen.